Content note, this episode of So Many Books, So Little Time does contain references to educational systems and frustrations that one might feel as a student and some of the barriers that exist to education um, and lack of adaptation to student needs. Also a bit of personal reflection on our part here and there. And yeah. Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Today we continue with Madeleine Leng's A Wrinkle in Time and Chapter 3, Mrs. Witch. Which uh, wordplay from last week? I really want to reread that book. Actually, I'm gonna find it. <laughs> I swear I have a copy. I swear. Where is Witch Witch? Who is Witch Witch? What is Witch Witch? Why is Witch Witch? Sorry, that reminds me of the scene from oh, what was it? One of the Marvel movies. Who is Gamora? Why is Gamora? I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? Sorry. Yes, I, I like my dodgy comic book uh, movies because they amuse me. I am a person of many flavors and talents <laughs> and tastes. Well, uh, speaking of trash, uh, you you talked uh, a couple times on the podcast about how one of your um, ways to relax is reading kind of lower rent fantasy fare. Yeah. Uh, have you uh, found anything in that realm that's worth talking about? There was actually a good one. I'm going to try and remember. There was one that was called, um, I think, The Spoken Mage. I didn't mind it. There's parts about it that are kind of, there were, like, there was something about it that was kind of cool. The idea that words have power is really emphasized, and I like that. Um, so it's, it's a good, good series. I can't remember who it's by, but I can actually look it up because it's on my Amazon Kindle uh, reading list because I did just read it recently. We are not sponsored by Amazon, but um, it's handy for people who read a lot. Um, yeah, so. I, I love my Kindle, and I'm yeah. very conflicted in saying that. Yep, yep. I have major issues with, with the fact that, that I use a Kindle, um, and I actually probably need to physically get a new Kindle because mine is having issues. Um, oh, that's I a shame. Yeah, see, see that's one of the good things. This thing's eight years old. It's still kicking. It's yes. had it's had its hiccups over the years, but it still works. Battery's kind of on its last legs, but it still works. I mm. don't want to replace it because I have that fear that all the new versions will have like bells and whistles that I don't care about. This is a rather bare bones version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer less less bells and whistles. Here it is: the Spoken Mage by Melanie Cellier, and it's actually pretty good. Like it's pretty. It's look. It's it is. Sorry, Melanie. I would put it in the category of like it's it's mass consume pulp fictiony kind of situation, but it's written in a way that's actually tackling some good questions. Oh, cool. Um, and and it's yeah. The, there's that, and I also enjoyed. Again, folks, don't judge me. I was reading this thing uh, by Aaron Johnson, who's written a series of um, basically. Uh, 
a witch who's in England and doing things. One which was uh, English after doom tea. I just like the puns. I'm a sucker for good puns in the title. Yeah, um, e- even though we're very conflicted about it, both Rue and I enjoyed the Zanth books back in our teenage years. Back in the day, and now I've thought back on them and mmm, that was a choice. Okay, a score to kettle. <laughs> um, scream and sugar, spelling the tea, things like that. So they're, they're, there's some pretty good ones. Like they're, they're not, but actually the one series that I enjoy quite a bit is the um, it's the black. The Black Hat series, and I'm trying to see what it is Black Hat Bureau, and it's kind of dark and twisty, but at the same time, a, a story of like redemption and challenges, and it, it's interesting. It's very well written. Is it and detective it's, fiction in the it's fantasy? It's kind scene? of. It kind of is. I do like that little niche of mystery and crime solving within urban fantasy. I think Mercedes, mm. Mercedes Lackey has a lot to has had that influence as well but yeah there's it's it's kind of fun to read because you're like oh there's a spell or there's this and you're going so these are not obviously you know criminology <laughs> these are not criminology techniques that one would use in real, real life um but occasionally they'll also reference stuff that is hashtag real world uh, so it's actual legit investigatory kind of mm-hmm. tools I don't know. I think it's it's well written, and most mm. of the time they don't do the whole "ah well, it's in their nature, they can't help themselves" kind of trope, which I I loathe that mm. because I do believe that even fictional characters of a species that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just realized, like, mm. I, I don't like things that in, that make things seem like there is no way to grow or change or develop or make choices yeah you know i i was just going to have a pithy retort uh but what about the fey but even in a lot of stories that i've enjoyed that use them uh yeah the the long-term characters the ones that don't die immediately uh Mm. there has been some growth over time and the growth in the sense of that there's choice yeah even if you write a species or a character or a fantasy creature that has certain traits that are inherent in their culture or in because of a magical gaze or whatever reason there's room to work within that well like what what is one of the most famous tropes in like fantasy creatures is the redemptive vampire yeah yep yeah there's the redemptive vampire there's yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, the fae that makes a, a choice to, you know, sacrifice their longevity or whatever it is. Like, there's all these different... Oh, yeah, the, the immortal that gives up their immortality. Yeah, I mean, some of these things are straight-up tropes. Like, okay, fair. Um, and, and they're just predictive. Like, some of, some of these things are super predictable, but, which but I don't know, mind. You know I don't mind that. But you know why they're tropes? It's because... They've been done well a lot. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it well, it's it's kind of what you expect, but I don't mind it when they do something predictable, but with, you know, gentle twists, gentle nudges. Mm-hmm. 
So the motivations differ, the communication may differ, the approach differs, the whole, the aloof and mystical, the arrogant, the whatever, like those kind of traits, you kind of go, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what is annoying is when they do the whole using the, say, a female main character as their redemptive tool. Mm. That's just, eh. <laughs> Rue Ru had uh, quite a scowl on her face. It's there. just boring. Like I, I'm going like, well, rather than the in, like the character going, hey, you know, I'm seeing a different wave. I see like, you can be inspired by or encouraged by how someone else behaves or makes choices and learn from their choices. Like, oh, okay, they, they, life hasn't been sunshine and roses for them either, but they're choosing how to approach things this way, and that's that's something I can learn from rather than I'm not going to improve until someone else tells me how to improve, like needing everything spelled out for you rather than at, or letting the other character, like the female, often the female main character tolerate a whole bunch of abuse until you pull your socks up. I will say the spoken mage had a little bit of that, but she was also, She's she's also a pretty solid character herself. Like she's she's coming from a lot of twists and turns for her. But, but Rue, beauty is there to tame the beast. <laughs> uh, so annoying. But it's just it's just like mature, please, please mature up a bit and and grow up. Even if you're a fictional character. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a little bit of that. In the meantime, in our book, we have our female lead, who, who's got her challenges. We've got her little brother, Charles, who... Full name, please, Charles, Charles Wallace. Wallace. Um, although he gets mentioned, he gets to mm -hmm. referred to as Charles more often now. And then we have now Calvin, who was introduced last chapter. And Calvin, mm. obviously, is also going through some stuff. But he... We'll see what happens. I and and as of right now, Hobbes is nowhere in sight. Ha, ha, ha. It's terrible. Terrible. I can't uh, help it, but before I got into that comic, I had never heard the name Calvin anywhere. Blame a sheltered upbringing. Uh, it's a rare name. It's not that like it's not that frequently in the literature, even as a name. But but also, I guess yeah, because uh, if I haven't talked about this before, folks, uh, from about age five to my early thirties, I. I wanted to be a cartoonist. I was brought up on Garfield and Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes on the far side. And yeah, uh, so so that's why I guess that name has also had such a strong attachment to that character. So yeah, anytime I hear the name Calvin, it immediately goes to that precocious little kid with the big vocabulary. Yeah, well, well, yes, yes. It's a, it's a, good, it's a fun kind of series to read, though, as well. Ah, uh, Hobbes. Oh, Kevin. <sighs> yeah. I, I, I like how, you know, you've, you've, you've got a little boy who's named after a philosopher who believed in predestination. And then his companion is named after a philosopher who had a very dim view of human nature. But yes, um, I wonder which ones, uh, what we're going to get quoted uh, by Mrs. Who um, at this rate. <laughs> wonder which ones who else is going to turn up well, in terms well, of our quoted i i'm guessing we'll learn if mrs which has an affectation we know mrs who does i don't think mrs what's it really did or well, if she does we have i haven't keyed into it yet. mrs what's it was super bundled up well yeah that was 
odd. I guess when I meant affectation, yeah, I was thinking more like verbal tick, like, you know, quoting. Language, yeah. Yeah, because it was Well, she was so... very blunt, and then she just kind of disappeared kind of situation. Drops a bombshell and then vamooses into the storm, which, I mean, I don't know if you'd call that an affectation, but it's certainly something. Well, look, if, if we meet her for the second time and she's still bundled up in scarves, then yes, that is an affectation. My mind just went, okay, she's trying to protect herself from the storm, so she's decided to tie uh, dozens of scarves around her head. Yes, that's true. It's true. It's many options, many options. I mean, it's odd, but fair enough. Is it any odder than, like, you know, putting a uh, garbage bag over you? No, not really, no. Sorry, I'm just having flashbacks to wet season and being caught in the lab and not having an umbrella that hadn't inverted. We, we ended up having to use one of the PhD room garbage bags to just get to the car. Yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah. They, they do work. It, it does, it does. Um, but yeah, so today we you were you were saying um, you wanted um, who who what and um, who's on first what's on that, but unfortunately we have which so well, which more than anything I want why but you know what the the problem with most uh, stories is once the questions are answered once you know why the mystery's kind of gone the allure exactly. is gone so hopefully See, no we shouldn't be introduced to Mrs Y until we've sorted out the entire story yes well we need to meet mrs x and mrs w first yes yes that's true uh and on that cheerful note <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on that very punish pun that uh, punishing note i it's, is it a pun technically it's, it's wordplay or sound play wordplay sorry well i i didn't win any money even though i was making an alphabet uh, it's terrible and it probably should be the name of a company that does that uh we, we we've got too many uh betting companies here in australia let's not give them any ideas no no but i bet you it is oh, bet. i guarantee you someone has that registered somewhere otherwise if one of our well, listeners well, decides with, to do so you got your idea here there you go oh actually yeah with oh with that awful connotation of you know alpha males and all that malarkey. oh god no no please please Okay, erasing. Erasing my brain for a moment, and we are going back to the book. <laughs> but, but let's move into a nicer realm. Yes, please. Okay. Chapter 3, Mrs. Witch. In the forest, evening was already beginning to fall, and they walked in silence. Charles and Fortinbras gambled on ahead. Calvin walked with Meg, his fingers barely touching her arm in a protective gesture. This has been the most impossible, the most confusing afternoon of my life, she thought. Yet I don't feel confused or upset any more. I only feel happy. Why? Maybe we weren't meant to meet before this, Calvin said. I mean, I knew who you were in school and everything, but I didn't know you. But I'm glad we've met now, Meg. We're going to be friends, you know? I'm glad too, Meg whispered, and they were silent again. When they got back to the house, Mrs. Murray was still in the lab. She was watching a pale blue fluid move slowly through a tube from a beaker to a retort. Over a Bunsen burner bubbled a big earthenware dish of stew. Don't tell Sandy and Dennis I'm cooking out here, she said. They're always suspicious that a few chemicals may get in with the meat, but I had an experiment I wanted to stay with. Just two notes here. 
One, if her background is in microbiology, um, no. <laughs> and also, the pale blue fluid business, it's really funny. I, I encourage everyone to do a, an image search for l laboratory or um, lab experiment or whatever, and look at the images and you will find or scientists and a whole bunch of it will be someone holding a glass beaker or a test tube or something with blue fluid in it. It's like, it's, it's a thing. It's, and I'm wondering what came first, the photos and the marketing and the tendency to associate that with science or this line in the book. Which is, I mean, obviously there must be chemicals that have that. But when I think of blue fluid, I think of the stuff I used to clean my toilet bowl. Well, there's that. Um, but yeah, no, it's a dye that we use different, there's different dyes, but it's just a very strange thing to be like observing in a test tube. It's, it's strange. Well, blue but is a pleasant color. Well, I guess that's it. It's calming and clinical. That's, that's, I guess the point. It just doesn't have the same ring as, you know, it's, it's better than beige. I think most of our fluids are see-through, <laughs> white and beige. Careful, careful with that beige beaker. I know. Anyway. <laughs> this is Calvin O'Keefe, mother, Meg said. Is there enough for him too? It smells super. Oh no, it's a stew and she said super. Why? Hmm? Think about it. She is cooking a stew, right? Hmm? And Meg said, is there enough for him too? It smells super. Okay. Stew, soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Anyway, sorry. Okay. I should, I should just say that line. Is there enough for him too? It smells super. Hello, Calvin. Mrs. Murray shook hands with him. Nice to meet you. We aren't having anything but stew tonight, but it's a good thick one. Sounds wonderful to me, Calvin said. May I use your phone so my mother will know where I am? Of course. Show him where it is, will you please, Meg? I won't ask you to use the one out here if you don't mind. I'd like to finish up this experiment. Meg led the way into the house. Charles Wallace and Fortinbras had gone off. Outdoors, she could hear Sandy and Dennis hammering at the fort they were building up in one of the maples. This way, Meg went through the kitchen and into the living room. I don't know why I call her when I don't come home, Calvin said, his voice bitter. She wouldn't notice. He sighed and dialed. Ma, he said. Oh, Hinky, tell Ma I won't be home till late. Now don't forget, I don't want to be locked out again. He hung up, looked at Meg. Do you know how lucky you are? She smiled rather wryly. Not most of the time. A mother like that? A house like this? Gee, your mother's gorgeous. You should see my mother. She had all her upper teeth out, and Pop got her a plate, but she won't wear it. And most days she doesn't even comb her hair. Not that it makes much difference when she does. He clenched his fists. But I love her. That's the funny part of it. I love them all, and they don't give a hoot about me. Maybe that's why I call when I'm not going to be home. Because I care. Nobody else does. You don't know how lucky you are to be loved. Meg said in a startled way, I guess I never thought of that. I guess I just took it for granted. Calvin looked somber. Then his enormous smile lit up his face again. Things are going to happen, Meg. Good things. I feel it. He began wandering, still slowly, around the pleasant, if shabby, living room. He stopped before a picture on the piano of a small group of men standing together on a beach. 
Who's this? Oh, a bunch of scientists. Where? Meg went over to the picture. Cape Canaveral. This one's father. Which? Here. The one with the glasses? Yep, the one who needs a haircut, Meg giggled, forgetting her worries in her pleasure at showing Calvin the picture. His hair sort of the same colour as mine, and he keeps forgetting to have it cut. Mother usually ends up doing it for him. She bought clippers and stuff, because he won't take the time to go to the barber. Calvin studied the picture. I like him, he announced judiciously. Looks kind of like Charles Wallace, doesn't he? Meg laughed again. When Charles was a baby, he looked exactly like father. It was really funny. Calvin continued to look at the picture. He's not handsome or anything, but I like him. Meg was indignant. He is too handsome. <laughs> Calvin shook his head. Nah, he's tall and skinny like me. Well, I think you're handsome, Meg said. Father's eyes are kind of like yours too, you know, really blue. Only you don't notice his as much because of the glasses. Where is he now? Meg stiffened. But she didn't have to answer because the door from lab to kitchen slammed and Mrs. Murray came in, carrying a dish of stew. Now, she called, I'll finish this up properly on the stove. Have you done your homework, Meg? Not quite, Meg said, going back into the kitchen. Then I'm sure Calvin won't mind if you finish before dinner. Sure, go ahead. Calvin fished in his pocket and pulled out a wad of folded paper. As a matter of fact, I have some junk of mine to finish up. Math. That's one thing I have a hard time keeping up in. I'm okay on anything to do with words, but I don't do as well with numbers. Mrs. Murray smiled. Why don't you get Meg to help you? But see, I'm several grades above Meg. Try asking her to help you with your math anyhow, Mrs. Murray suggested. Well, sure, Calvin said. Here, but it's pretty complicated. Meg smoothed out the paper and studied it. Do they care how you do it? She asked. I mean, can you work it out your own way? Well, sure, as long as I understand and get the answers right. Well, we have to do it their way. Now look, Calvin, don't you see how much easier it would be if you did it this way? Her pencil flew over the paper. Hey, Calvin said. Hey, I think I get it. Show me once more on another one. Again, Meg's pencil was busy. All you have to remember is that every ordinary fraction can be converted into an infinite periodic decimal fraction. See? So three-sevenths is 0 0.428571. This is the craziest family, Calvin grinned at her. I suppose I should stop being surprised by now, but you're supposed to be dumb in school, always being called up on the carpet. Oh, I am. The trouble with Meg and math, Mrs. Murray said briskly, is that Meg and her father used to play with numbers, and Meg learned far too many shortcuts. So when they want her to do the problems the long way round at school, she gets sullen and stubborn, and sets up a fine mental block for herself. Are there any more like Meg and Charles around? Calvin asked. If so, I should meet more of them. It might also help if Meg's handwriting were legible, Mrs. Murray said. With a good deal of difficulty, I can usually decipher it, but I doubt very much if her teachers can or are willing to take the time. I'm planning on giving her a typewriter for Christmas. That may be a help. That may be a help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to 
slide side slide here. Uh, for those of you who are under a certain age demographic who may not be familiar with the typewriter, it's a thing to Google. Um, so yeah. <laughs> terrible that's very condescending no but like if you don't know what it is if it's like what is this okay type how does it work imagine back in the, my look day, up the, the, back the keys my. went clickety clack when i mean when we them. had uh, we when we had a typewriter that was like an electric typewriter mm -hmm. that was like revolutionary so it's it's yeah the, the one where you could press backspace and actually remove the letters that were already printed what uh, not yeah well it would cross them out at least oh no mine actually removed them well my mum's had my mum had one i had a bit of white out in it like a white out i don't know how it did it but yeah Probably. they were gone yeah cool okay so if i get anything right nobody will believe it's me meg said what's a megaparsec calvin asked one of father's nicknames for me meg said it's also 3.26 million light years What's E equals MC squared? Einstein's equation. What's E stand for? Energy. M. Mass. C2. The square of the velocity of light in centimeters per second. By what countries is Peru bounded? I haven't the faintest idea. I think it's in South America somewhere. What is the capital of New York? Well, New York City, of course. Who wrote Boswell's Life of Johnson? Oh, Calvin, I'm not any good at English. Calvin groaned and turned to Mrs. Murray. I see what you mean. Her, I wouldn't want to teach. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> She's a little one-sided, I grant you, Mrs. Murray said, though I blame her father and myself for that. She still enjoys playing with the doll's house, though. Mother! Meg shrieked in agony. Oh, darling, I'm sorry, Mrs. Murray said swiftly, but I'm sure Calvin understands what I mean. With a sudden enthusiastic gesture... Calvin flung his arms out wide as though he were embracing Meg and her mother, the whole house. How did all this happen? Isn't it wonderful? I feel as though I were just being born. I'm not alone anymore. Do you realize what that means to me? But you're good at basketball and things, Meg protested. You're good in school. Everybody likes you. For all the most unimportant reasons, Calvin said. There hasn't been anybody, anybody in the world, I could talk to. Sure, I can function on the same level as everybody else. I can hold myself down, but it isn't me. Meg took a batch of forks from the drawer and turned them over and over, looking at them. I'm more confused again. Oh, so am I, Calvin said gaily. But now at least I know we're going somewhere. Meg was pleased and a little surprised when the twins were excited at having Calvin for supper. That sentence sounded like they're eating Calvin, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> well, it could be one of her mother's experiments. Yeah, uh, look, it's, it's, it's just English grammar sometimes is odd. Yeah. They knew more about his athletic record and were far more impressed by it than she. Calvin ate five bowls of stew, three sauces of jello, and a dozen cookies, and then Charles Wallace insisted that Calvin take him up to bed and read to him. The twins who had finished their homework were allowed to watch half an hour of TV. Meg helped her mother with the dishes, and then sat at the table and struggled with her homework. But she could not concentrate. "'Mother, are you upset?' she asked suddenly. Mrs. Murray looked up from the copy of an English scientific magazine through which she was leafing. For a moment she did not speak, then, yes. Why? Again Mrs. Murray paused. She held her hands out and looked at them. 
They were long and strong and beautiful. She touched with the fingers of her right hand the broad gold band on the third finger of her left hand. I'm still quite a young woman, you know, she said finally, though I realize that that's difficult for your children to conceive. And I'm still very much in love with your father. I miss him quite dreadfully. And you think all this has something to do with father? I think it must have. But what? That I don't know, but it seems the only explanation. Do you think things always have an explanation? Yes, I believe that they do, but I think that with our human limitations, we are not always able to understand the explanations. But you see, Meg, just because we don't understand doesn't mean that the explanation doesn't exist. I like to understand things, Meg said. We all do, but it isn't always possible. Charles Wallace understands more than the rest of us, doesn't he? Yes. Why? I suppose because he's, well, because he's different, Meg. Different how? I'm not quite sure. You know yourself, he's not like anybody else. No, and I wouldn't want him to be, Meg said defensively. Wanting doesn't have anything to do with it. Charles Wallace is what he is. Different. New. New? Yes, that's what your father and I feel. Meg twisted her pencil so hard that it broke. She laughed. I'm sorry. I'm really not being destructive. I'm just trying to get things straight. I know. But Charles Wallace doesn't look different from anybody else. No, Meg, but people are more than just the way they look. Charles Wallace's difference isn't physical. It's in essence. Meg sighed heavily, took off her glasses and twirled them put them back on again. Well, I know Charles Wallace is different, and I know he's something more. I guess I'll just have to accept it without understanding it. Mrs. Murray smiled at her. Maybe that's really the point I was trying to put across. Yeah, Meg said dubiously. Her mother smiled again. Maybe that's why our visitor last night didn't surprise me. Maybe that's why I'm able to have a... A willing suspension of disbelief, because of Charles Wallace. Are you like Charles? Meg asked. I? Heavens no. I'm blessed with more brains and opportunities than many people, but there's nothing about me that breaks out of the ordinary mould. Your looks do, Meg said. Mrs. Murray laughed. You just haven't had enough basis for comparison, Meg. I'm very ordinary, really. Calvin coming in then said, Ha, ha. Charles all settled, Mrs. Murray said. Yes. What did you read to him? Genesis. His choice. By the way, what kind of an experiment were you working on this afternoon, Mrs. Murray? Oh, something my husband and I were cooking up together. I don't want to be too far behind him when he gets back. Mother, Meg pursued, Charles says I'm not one thing or the other. Not flesh, nor fowl, nor good red herring. Oh, for crying out loud, Calvin said. You're Meg, aren't you? Come on, and let's go for a walk. But Meg was still not satisfied. And what do you make of Calvin? She demanded of her mother. Mrs. Murray laughed. I don't want to make anything of Calvin. I like him very much. <laughs> it's funny, considering the sentence before with the having mm -hmm. Calvin over for supper. Calvin for supper. Anyway, I like him very much, and I'm delighted he's found his way here. Mother, you were going to tell me about a tesseract. Yes. 
A troubled look came into Mrs. Murray's eyes. But not now, Meg. Not now. Go on out for that walk with Calvin. I'm going up to kiss Charles, and then I have to see that the twins get to bed. Outdoors, the grass was wet with dew. The moon was halfway up and dimmed the stars for a great arc. Calvin reached out and took Meg's hand with a gesture as simple and friendly as Charles Wallace's. Were you upsetting your mother? he asked gently. I don't think I was, but she's upset. What about? Father. Calvin led Meg across the lawn. The shadows of the tree were long and twisted, and there was a heavy, sweet autumnal smell to the air. Meg stumbled as the land sloped suddenly downhill, but Calvin's strong hand steadied her. They walked carefully across the twins' vegetable garden, picking their way through the rows of cabbages, beets, broccoli, pumpkins. Looming on their left were the tall stalks of corn. Ahead of them was a small apple orchard, bounded by a stone wall, and beyond this the woods through which they had walked that afternoon. Calvin led the way to the wall, and then sat there, his red hair shining silver in the moonlight, his body dappled with patterns from the tangle of branches. He reached up, pulled an apple off a gnarled limb, and handed it to Meg, then picked one for himself. Tell me about your father. He's a physicist. Sure, we all know that, and he's supposed to have left your mother and gone off with some dame. Meg jerked up from the stone on which she was perched, but Calvin grabbed her by the wrist and pulled her back down. Hold it, kid. I didn't say anything you hadn't heard already, did I? No, Meg said, but continued to pull away. Let me go. Come on, calm down. You know it isn't true. I know it isn't true. And how anybody, after one look at your mother, could believe any man would leave her for another woman just shows how far jealousy will make people go, right? I guess so, Meg said. But her happiness had fled, and she was back in a morass of anger and resentment. Look, dope. Calvin shook her gently. I just want to get things straight. Sort of sort out the fact from fiction. Your father's a physicist. That's a fact. Yes? Yes. He's a PhD several times over. Yes. Most of the time he works alone, but some of the time he was at the Institute for Higher Learning in Princeton, correct? Yes. Then he did some work for the government, didn't he? Yes. You can take it from there. That's all I know. That's about all I know, too, Meg said. Maybe Mother knows more. I don't know. What he did was, well, it was what they call classified. Top secret, you mean? That's right. And you don't even have any idea what it was about? Meg shook her head. No, not really. Just an idea because of where he was. Well, where? Out in New Mexico for a while. We were with him there. And then he was in Florida at Cape Canaveral, and we were with him there too. And then he was going to be traveling a lot, so we came here. You always had this house? Yes, but we used to live in it just in the summer. And you don't know where your father was sent? No. At first we got lots of letters. Mother and father always wrote to each other every day. I think mother still writes him every night. Every once in a while the postmistress makes some kind of crack about all her letters. I suppose they think she's pursuing him or something, Calvin said rather bitterly. They can't understand plain, ordinary love when they see it. Well, go on. What happened next? 
Nothing happened, Meg said. That's the trouble. Well, what about your father's letters? They just stopped coming. You haven't heard anything at all? No, Meg said. Nothing. Her voice was heavy with misery. Silence fell between them, as tangible as the dark tree shadows that fell across their laps, and that now seemed to rest upon them as heavily as though they possessed a measurable weight of their own. At last Calvin spoke in a dry, unemotional voice, not looking at Meg. Do you think he could be dead? Again Meg leapt up, and again Calvin pulled her down. No, they'd have told us if he were dead. There's always a telegram or something. They always tell you. What do they tell you? Meg choked down a sob, managed to speak over it. Oh, Calvin, mother's tried and tried to find out. She's been down to Washington and everything. And all they'll say is that he's on a secret and dangerous mission and that she can be very proud of him, but he won't be able to, to communicate with us for a while and they'll give us news as soon as they have it. Meg, don't get mad, but do you think maybe they don't know? A slow tear trickled down Meg's cheek. That's what I'm afraid of. Why don't you cry? Calvin asked gently. You're just crazy about your father, aren't you? Go ahead and cry. It'll do you good. Meg's voice came out, trembling over tears. I cry much too much. I should be like mother. I should be able to control myself. Your mother's a completely different person, and she's a lot older than you are. I wish I were a different person, Meg said shakily. I hate myself. Calvin reached over and took off her glasses. Then he pulled a handkerchief out of his pocket and wiped her tears. This gesture of tenderness undid her completely, and she put her head down on her knees and sobbed. Calvin sat quietly beside her, every once in a while patting her head. I'm sorry, she sobbed finally. I'm terribly sorry. Now you'll hate me. Oh, Meg, you are a b**** Calvin said. Don't you know you're the nicest thing that's happened to me in a long time? Meg raised her head, and moonlight shone on her tear-stained face. Without the glasses, her eyes were unexpectedly beautiful. If Charles Wallace is a sport, I think I'm a biological mistake. Moonlight flashed against her braces as she spoke. Now she was waiting to be contradicted, but Calvin said, Do you know that this is the first time I've seen you without your glasses? I'm as blind as a bat without them. I'm nearsighted like father. Well, you know what? You've got dreamboat eyes, Calvin said. Listen, you go right on wearing your glasses. I don't think I want anybody else to see what gorgeous eyes you have. <laughs> Red flag. No, eh. Meg smiled with pleasure. She could feel herself blushing, and she wondered if the blush would be visible in the moonlight. Okay, hold it, you two, came a voice out of the shadows. Charles Wallace stepped into the moonlight. <laughs> that sentence. <laughs> <Da -da. laughs> okay, hold it, you two, came a voice out of the shadows. Charles Wallace stepped into the moonlight. I wasn't spying on you, he said quickly, and I hate to break things up, but this is it, kids. This is it, his voice quivered with excitement. This is what? Calvin asked. We're going. Going? Where? Meg reached out and instinctively grabbed for Calvin's hand. I don't know exactly, Charles Wallace said, but I think it's to find father. Suddenly, two eyes seemed to spring at them, out of the darkness. It was the moonlight striking on Mrs. Who's glasses. 
She was standing next to Charles Wallace, and how she had managed to appear where a moment ago there had been nothing but flickering shadows in the moonlight, Meg had no idea. She heard a sound behind her and turned around. There was Mrs. Watsit scrambling over the wall. "'My, but I wished there were no wind,' Mrs. Watsit said plaintively. "'It's so difficult with all these clothes.' She wore her outfit of the night before, rubber boots and all, with the addition of one of Mrs. Buncombe's sheets, which she had draped over her. As she slid off the wall, the sheet caught in a lower branch and came off. The felt hat slipped over both eyes, and another branch plucked at the pink stole. "'Oh, dear,' she sighed. "'I shall never learn to manage.' Mrs. Who wafted over to her, tiny feet scarcely seeming to touch the ground, the lenses of her glasses glittering. Come te piccolo fallo amore morso, Dante, what grievous pain a little fault doth give thee. With a claw-like hand she pushed the hat up on Mrs. Watsit's forehead, untangled the stole from the tree, and, with a deft gesture, took the sheet and folded it. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Watsit said. You're so clever. Un asno viejo sabe mas que un potro, e Perez. An old ass knows more than a young colt. Just because you're, f just because you're a paltry few billion years, Mrs. Watsit was starting indignantly when a sharp, strange voice cut in. All right, girls, this is no time for bickering. It's Mrs. Witch, Charles Wallace said. There was a faint gust of wind. The leaves shivered in it. The patterns of moonlight shifted, and in a circle of silver something shimmered, quivered, and the voice said. I do not think I will materialize completely. I find it very tiring, and we have much to do. Well, that was almost a Catch-22 chapter, because it was called uh, Mrs. Witch, but we hardly got any of her. We just got the last trickling of it, and she didn't even bother materializing. <laughs> How rude. I know. Well, she's tired. <laughs> Hey, um, when was this book published? Uh, I want to say the 60s, but I will, I will double check. 1962. Okay. The, the reason I asked was that talk of her father being a physicist and they moved to New Mexico and then Cape Canaveral. I was thinking, of course, of the Manhattan Project and then, of course, like the, the moon rocket. Yes, yes. So it, 1962. So... It, it was around the time where those kind of topics were relevant. Although um, I think uh, I think the moon launch was 69, wasn't it? So that's a ways after. Yeah, but it was, I mean, the whole space race was... Yeah, it, was it lasted years. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very active. There was something about it. It was actually, it's interesting, it's a banned book in some spaces. Uh, there are too many banned books, and it seems like there's a resurgence of that happening now, which is just uh, maddening and terrifying at the same time. But uh, yeah. let, let's get away from that space, and let's talk about the chapter that just happened. Yeah, sorry, just side note. It's like it's apparently one of the most banned books, most frequently banned books, which is interesting. But yeah. Well, as um, we go further into it, maybe I'll glean an understanding of why that why. is. Why it might be controversial. Um, um, but, okay, I will keep Please. that in mind. And then if we haven't broached the topic by the time the book ends, then in the final episode, I'll, I'll 
say my thoughts, but if if anything happens in the story that makes me go, ah, that's why, then of course I'll I'll bring it up. Of course, of course. Now please, any, but, um, any reflections? Hmm, hmm, hmm. I I mean, yeah, it, I'm. I mean, you know, I think last chapter I was talking about, it feels like the story's about to get going, and the end of this chapter was pretty much, this is the start of the adventure. Yeah, and we had a little bit more foundation set by, like, the dynamics of the relationships between the characters were kind of hinted at now. Yes, uh, I think Calvin is definitely very much like Charles Wallace. He seemed very um, empathic in terms of what mm. Meg was feeling and how to help her. Yeah, to to kind of try and bring her back and bring her back to ground her, which is really interesting. But notice we now also have a better insight into Meg is actually very smart when it comes mm. to, say, like the, the sciences and maths mm, and all yeah. those things. But then as soon as you go into our social sciences or our history and things like that, she's like, okay, yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, and, and also what her mother said about... Um, her father taught her too much, so she learned too many shortcuts. Therefore, yeah. um, that's you know. actually a legit concern. Mm -hmm. When people do teach kids maths and reading and writing ahead of their classroom, they learn it using different methodologies that are being used in the in the classrooms. And the reasons they teach it in the classroom a certain way, depending on where you're going, there mm. there is a rhyme and reason to it. There's a purpose to it. I'm not saying don't teach your kids learning ahead of time it just depends on how you want to approach it but just to be aware that that can cause hiccups mm. it's not not wrong it just means that you have to kind of teach the kids to see how they are seeing it in the classroom which can make it an extra layer of difficulty and also the fact that if they can read and write ahead of everyone else the disadvantage is that there's nothing for them to learn in the classroom i mean charles wallace was pointing out i'll stand out and mm. not in a good way and if her Mrs. Murray did point out that that's why Meg's having trouble in school because she gets so stubborn about how she already yeah. knows the in her mind what the right way is to do these things. You can do it so much faster. And it even Cal, Calvin agreed with her. Like when when Meg showed her her way of doing things, Calvin was like, "Oh, that's fantastic." Yeah, and then when when she was trying to like as soon as she. She, he's like, oh, where, you know, what country is border on Chile? And she's like, oh, I, don't I don't know. It's too hard. Somewhere South America. Like, okay, I see what you mean. Mental block. So as soon as she doesn't think she can do the thing, there's a mental block. Mm. As soon as it's outside of the scope that she's out of her comfort levels, mental block. And I think that's an interesting, um, because just very much aside, we like when you solve a puzzle, you get like that dopamine hit. Mm. But the longer you're sitting in that discomfort, that delaying, that continuous, that long delay of that gratification yeah. of solving it, that can be off-putting, which is why certain video, I mean, from video games, you you know, like if it's su it's almost an impossible level of something, it's, it's off-putting. Um, you step the, away. Uh, the flow state. I mean, yeah. game, game theory has latched on to... Uh, What's his name? Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, I think is how it's pronounced. He's a mm. um, social scientist, I believe, but he created the flow concept, I think, in the 80s or 90s. But it's yeah. that idea that, you know, for optimal learning, there is this sweet spot between boredom and frustration. You know, yeah, if something's too easy, you're going to get bored by it. If it's too hard, yeah. it's good. you're going to get frustrated. But if you, you can ride like that midline, yeah. 
uh, there will be yeah. like, you know, you'll be making progress, but you'll still be challenged. Therefore, you'll, you'll, exactly. you'll enter into this state where just you want to keep going. There's the discomfort that allows you to have growth. And then there's the discomfort that exceeds that. Well, um, on this. And that's, that's a challenge. On this subject. Uh, so, like, I've been doing a couple different kinds of puzzles lately. I mean, there's the video game stuff, but, you know, I've gotten into crosswords, uh, which are actually very much in my wheelhouse. Like, though, that's a type of puzzle that just clicks with me because it's word-based. That's yeah. where my strengths are. But I've also been doing these specialized Sudoku puzzles. I follow a YouTube channel called Cracking the Cryptic. Uh, they're, I think they're the number one Sudoku YouTube channel, but, you know, they because they're already really good at solving normal Sudoku, they look for challenges like Sudoku puzzles that have weird rule sets or, you know, that are very, that, that are fiendishly difficult. And, you know, most of their videos are the, these two solving it. And one of the reasons I do like them so much is, especially this one guy, Simon, he has such a joy and appreciation just for puzzle solving itself that's it's infectious but they do have more approachable puzzles that and every puzzle they do they have a link so you can do it yourself and i've been you know attempting uh, their approachable puzzles but you know sudoku is uh much more logic based than a crossword is you, you know what i yeah. mean by that yeah, it's, like, it's, well, it's it's a uh, if it's not this, it has to be that, and does it, yeah, it's a it's a and, lot and, of and a, a, and a lot of the um, extraneous rule sets have a bit of math involved with them, and I've always been more like English minded than math minded, right? Yeah. More humanities based than standards. So you're a Calvin, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So like I've been able to solve these. They're called gas puzzles. They're genuine. What is it? Genuinely approachable Sudoku. I've been able to solve them, but, you know, where they solve it, like in five minutes, I'm there 45 minutes still, you know, but here's the thing, like back to our point, sorry if I'm getting to the point in a roundabout way, but like, as I'm slowly trudging forward in the Sudoku, sometimes even just staring at the puzzle, it's like, what is the next step? You know, I cannot see it, but I, I, I can feel like, this type of puzzle is always at the complete edge of my capacity. And that's why when I do eventually finish them, I feel so elated yeah, because I've been big, pushing against that barrier. It, the the big these challenge, puzzles big reward. Yeah. do not come easily for me. And a, yeah. a lot of the time they are kind of over that line into the frustration. And a couple of them I do give up on, especially the ones that have more to do with math or to use you know, like, oh, if you understand algebra, you can actually easily solve this. It's like, no, I can't do that. I, ha- I have to stay within the logic of, you know, the Sudoku. But, but yeah, there, there, there is, um, I, I guess in the end, it, it is that thing where like, um, there, there is purpose, there is joy and, you know, you don't grow if you don't step outside your comfort zone. And by continually pushing against it, it's like flexing a muscle. I know the more I do these puzzles, the better I will get at them. Uh, But, but yeah, it's, it can be fun when you solve them, but yeah, if you spend too much time bunning your head against the wall, it's very easy to say, I'm not enjoying this. I'm just going to give up. And of course, then when you give up, you feel even worse about yourself. So it's, it's, it's a Mm. whole minefield. (laughs) But then you also add that layer where, which, which Mrs. Murray indicated 
which is that the teachers might not even have the patience to deal with her as a student? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about like a school system, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah um, you know, when you talked about the, the way to teach certain things, yeah, I, I'm thinking that off, the methods like that are taught in school are obviously... Is less, I'm saying less about the teaching technique because that's a whole nother can of potatoes. Oh, no, 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 no. But, uh, but I want to say it, it feels like, you know, more like uh, what's taught in schools has to be like this works for the majority of people or, the, or be, yes. like, like, like that. Uh, I'm trying not to say what I'm saying here. I'm, uh, uh, okay. Let, let me go at it a different way. They, they go, no, they go for, the, they go for what is like the greatest success rate. It's like we, yeah. we, we, yeah. we spent a lot of time trying different methods with, you know, yes. with different types of people. And this method has the greatest success rate for the largest, largest the, group of people. Yeah. The big thing that, well, particularly for maths, I know that there's a lot of controversy. Parents now, especially with the teaching remote classes and things like that, um, the way that they teach maths has shifted. Yeah, I've, has I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people talk about that common core. They've actually made it, uh, this is going to sound bad, because I, I don't use like I, I haven't learned it that way mm. either. I'm out of that generation. I I, I, I had to memorize my times tables. Yeah, I, you know. yeah. I can't. I can't. I had trouble with that actually, but that's because I moved countries and changed uh, languages yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle of my times tables. Yeah, that, that can that can throw a wrench in the works. A, of of course, bit. jokingly, I want to say, but you know, numbers are numbers. But no, yeah. I understand. <laughs> um, but no, the way that they teach um, maths now in some ways is actually a lot better. Mm. You don't develop certain habits that later on catch up with you. Well, what I've heard um, is that it's more about you learn the almost like, you know, the, the, the reasoning and the ability, you learn the problem solving rather than the, you know, the rote memorization of how to solve these yeah, problems. You part learn of it, how part to. Of is, yeah, part of it is you learn better, you learn the mechanisms behind it mm. better, which is, useful um and it also means that as you stagger up from ad addition subtraction to divi multiplication division things click in a little bit better um and and again fractions and decimals and all that it becomes a lot smoother admittedly some of the things that would be practical maths they're, they're trying to integrate that a bit better now but we'll get there i think the main thing is that we, we can see just based on the book chapters that because Meg has seen, has uh, developed learning a certain way mm. and her talents. And I mean, the parents, the, the attitude has always been let them develop into who they are as a person as yeah. well. And that's probably also true of their skills and aptitudes and talents. Mm. And her talents seem to be heavily maths and science centric. Mm. But the problem with um, the way, I mean, this is a book, is it? published since 1962 but we've had this issue in the sciences and we still have this issue in stem there's a gender bias we know that mm -hmm. there's a gender bias and yes that's why we have a lot of programs that are trying to promote um people who are not men um in in that field generally mm. um also people who have a more diverse heritage right. again but the challenge is that that, that that would be one prejudice to battle against. Yeah. And then on top of that, approaching things in a way that is actually... We also have this challenge where people were teaching 
some people who are teaching, particularly maths and sciences, we tend to have a deficit of teachers. Mm. We have very few teachers who actually know what they're teaching. They understand it properly. Right. Many do. Uh, again, not dogging on teachers at all. They, they like most of the time, they are actually really good at it. They understand it. That's not the issue. But there are also, I mean, th there's enough of a proportion of teachers who... Um, are basically, you know, they're the history and PE teacher who's going has to teach maths just because they don't have a maths teacher, or yeah, has yeah, to do yeah. like, and and it's it, or vice versa. I mean, it happens all the time mm -hmm. in in any direction. Um, and then teachers are basically forced to teach things that they aren't necessarily qualified for. Mm. Um, and that's a challenge too, because if you only base it on the textbook and you don't actually understand what you're teaching. You won't catch it if there's a typo and you don't understand if someone does it differently than the way it's done in the textbook. Yeah. Or, or you know, you're, you're um, more rigid in not yep. allowing deviation or, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that's another challenge we've had with maths, which is having that very rigid mindset has actually been a problem in terms of maths education. A lot of students, you ask them what their least favorite subject is after a certain age, and it tends to be maths and sciences. Why? And immediately the attitude is, I'm just no, I'm not good at it. Yeah, I remember there. In me, me personally, there was a large shift because I, I mean, you know, memories are always fuzzy, but I have a strong memory mm. of in first grade being very excited that I uh, talking to a girl who lived down my street who was, I think, when I was in first or second grade, she was like in junior high, so you know, mm. she, I was five, six, she might have been 10, 11, 12 around then. Yeah. And talking to her about, like, I just learned, you know, um, addition, subtraction, I believe. But based on that idea and talking to her, I figured out what multiplication was. And mm -hmm. I ran home really excited. And my mom even um, sent me a bunch of problems to see if I actually yeah. understood it. And I do have a memory of, because I didn't understand that multiplication could go both ways. So one of the questions she gave me was 50 times two. I could have easily just, you know, what is 52 times? But instead I went two, four, six, eight. <laughs> yeah. um, so I have that memory strong. And I, I remember really being excited about learning multiplication. And I was yeah. really good with arithmetic. But maybe it was also the the moving to Australia when I was yep. 10. So, you know, I do remember that school became less fun when I moved to this country. Yeah. But yes, yeah, suddenly like math was a chore. I was no longer any good at it. Um, yeah. I don't feel I was dumber in a way, although over the years, I kind of that 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 changed as well. It because, settles you know, into you. It goes into your well, like yeah. Meg is saying, like, oh, I don't know anything. I'm silly i don't know stuff i'm that she she took uh, took down to herself and it does come back down to how she negative reinforcement negative reinforcement she doesn't fit into the this it doesn't easily fall into the pattern like the rigid mind, uh, approach that they've got and, and, and that's calvin, yeah. calvin mentioned that how he um he doesn't say he dumbs himself down but that's basically what he said yeah. is, i know how to lower in. my standards to fit in yeah um and then they've got yeah so I, I had a similar thing with moving countries and so, so it was i used to be like i loved maths i was loved my maths i loved mm. arts reading everything and then we moved countries i didn't speak the language i was in the middle 
in the school and German schools are way ahead or they were way ahead when it came to maths. Right. Way ahead when it came to maths. And then on top of that, and I was learning a new language from scratch. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit intense. So that happened. And then years of struggling with maths and couldn't figure out what it was. And then we, one of the teachers got me to come in front of the class and said, look, you, you get halfway there and then something goes wrong and then you, things don't add up don't don't like right. div- i think it was division or multiple whatever i said i don't understand because i keep doing it this way whatever was happening i was doing it half in one way and half in another way there's right. different ways to write out your questions mm-hmm. i was writing it out half in one way of writing it out and half in another way of writing it out so things were getting <laughs> tallied correctly and uh, it he got me to write it on the board and he said look move this here and and continue the question so i moved the thing i did the thing went oh and this is a teacher who was a bit sharp and very like he was he was a challenging teacher but mm. once we did it that way once we went through it i was like oh okay that makes sense and the same with physics i used to love physics and then i moved back here and the teacher was something was something well i mean that that goes into a whole nother conversation about how detrimental a bad teacher can be to a well, developing she, she mind. was someone who i think she had a doctorate in bio like some microbiology or biology or something and she was teaching physics and it was a choice i don't think she was qualified to teach yeah. physics that was and, and all the people who did well in it had private tutors like every day mm. so that they could get through that subject because they had to compensate right um and we've we've had that like where sometimes in maths things sing and other times I still stumble. Um, and, and it's weird because like abstractly, yeah, I would like, because an algebra problem really is just like a Sudoku. It's a puzzle. Yeah. And and there, I remember there was joy of working out line by line, you know, every step mm. of the way and then getting that number at the end. It, w- it was lovely. Um, but somehow... That was ground out of me or just just maybe the pace, you know, because high yeah. school pace, especially private school, high school pace is relentless. Well, that's another thing as well. Like we don't adjust the pace to enable the students to process information and things like that. So mm. anyway, we don't criticize the education system. There, there are certain they've, they've got stakeholders they report to as well. And it's, it's messy and it's complicated. But yeah, there's these are the things like it's it's interesting that even this book is is making us kind of go, hey, memories about you know, growing <laughs> when, up. When as a was kid. my love of learning ground out in me? <laughs> That's a thing, and then and then um, I think that uh, that that was some of the stuff that we're just seeing. Like in these characters, there is a thirst to explore and learn, and even though Meg is absolutely definitely burnt, mm-hmm. she still has a curious mind it's just that she sometimes gives up and kind of goes oh look well she really has been ground down yeah she's been hurt and she's been hearing all the the gossiping overhearing Mm -hmm. it and people like and and people targeting her really i also love how it was almost like when calvin went over and met mrs murray and he met he mentioned how gorgeous she was pretty much right away then when he got meg alone on that walk he was like, ah, I'm, I'm going to get to the bottom of this right now. So you've heard the rumors and Meg immediately wanted to flee because yeah. it's like, not well, this again. And he's like, yeah. no, look, I've just met your mother. And 
Now I know that those rumors are complete hogwash. And also jealousy, because they're Mm. jealous about it. So I think what it is, is that she is so quick to temper and she's so upset Mm -hmm. and sensitive that that's why she also cops a lot of the gossip, because they see her reacting. Yeah. And they they like feeling superior. People love a reaction. And and look, I'm not above that either. But but it's trolling. It's basically trolling a child. They're trolling a child because for them, that's their way of feeling superior. Mm. That's their way of feeling, um, oh, you know, it, it, it makes them feel, because I would say Mrs. Murray is unflappable. But but only, only only for a certain, uh, like the idea of trolling a child, only when it goes their way, because now I'm thinking back to when um, Meg started going back at the principal, like clapping back at him about her mother. He was like, yeah. do you want the whole school to hear? And her response was, I'm not ashamed by anything I'm saying. Are you? And he yeah. completely changed the subject after that. Yeah. So she's she's once in a while, she knows how to stand up mm. and isn't controlled entirely by her temper. But she uses logic because he was trying to use logic and she outlogicked him. Mm. So she's got a good sense of logic. Her problem is the memorizing country borders because that's just like, okay. If I'm going, I guess it's like, she's like, if I was going to South America, I would make the effort to learn things, but I am not going there well, right now. So why should I need to know? And and it's something like, I feel I need to address right now because this is a podcast where we read books, you know, both of us love reading and, you know, growing up in school, you know, there was always that thing where like when you were reading in class, uh, the teacher would always call on different people to read in the class. And I always enjoyed that because, you know, it was one of the few things I knew I excelled in as well. I've always been a reader. So I'm like, yeah, let me just read the heck out of this. And then it'd go to someone else. And it was always like, now thinking back, you know, I had glee with how bad a reader most folks in the class were. But looking back, it's sad because um, even even now I, I worked uh, that year at Kit McGraw that teaches, you know, kids how to read and just seems like, wow, books were always just joyous for me to this day. They still are. Um, It feels like no Mm. kid ever, well, lots of kids never discover the joy of reading, how great books can be. Yeah, it's it's pretty, um, I think it's also not, there's a lot of, and, and I'm saying that because, you know, yeah. you know, like Meg's like, oh, social science, geography. I think it's the similar thing. I don't need to know that because it's not important. It's like no, one, no one's no, taught no. her. I don't think it's that. I think it's more she can't retain the facts. Well, well, well it's also like because um, actually history is a good example of this. You know, you learn history in high school. It's as boring as anything. Then then you start to read up on history mm. yourself. If you have an interest later in life, you're like, these stories are amazing. But also part of it, she's saying, I'm just no good at it. Well, there's that too, yeah. So she's, uh, we were saying before, she's got a mental block there. And it probably doesn't help that. I think she had, wasn't her, her geography teacher who is really, really sarcastic? It was, yeah. And, you know, that links back to not only, yeah, if you have a teacher who kind of makes you feel small, you're, you're going to lose passion for a subject. Mm-hmm. But um, So I, I think have... she's there's a combination of her also being picked on, but also... Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot going on with her as well, so it's it's kind of sad. May- maybe I'm I'm using Meg as a proxy for like what went wrong for me in my uh, my education. I think as an adult, that's it's it's uh, something we do. But 
Yeah, I think there's a lot but... to her. There's a lot to her that we will also get to know. And, and now we've also got um, Mrs. Witch. And, uh, so, so let's look at their affectations. Mrs. What's-It? Is bumbling. Loves, loves wearing a whole bunch of clothing, layers, layers, layers. And it's slightly sarcastic. Like, oh, thank you, Mrs. What's-It said. You're so clever. Oh, yeah. see, you didn't read that sarcastically, I but didn't. I also didn't I didn't, take it but I just saw it because I just saw the way it's italicized. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's sarcastic. Okay. But it's it's in a kind of a thing. And I, then I, she goes and then she gets a response from Mrs. Who of an old ass knows more than a young cult. The reason she was sarcastic was because she said, so she helps her, say what a grievous pain a little fault doth give thee. Mm. So she quoted Dante. Mrs. Watts, it's like, thanks for saving me, but yo, the quote, that was really unnecessary. <laughs> um, and then it's like, well, look, an old ass knows more than a young cult. It's like, just because you're a few paltry billion years, that's the thing. Just because you're a paltry few billion years cut mm. off. That's going to be fun to find out about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Witch going, yeah. Well, she's a, she's either yeah. she's either growling because that's the way she speaks, but I like to think it's because she hasn't fully materialized yet. Yes, and I think in a circle of silver, something shivered, quivered, and the voice said, "I do not think I will materialize completely. I find it very tiring, and we have much to do." With the emphasis not being this way, because there's all the there's extra letters. Hence, I was pronouncing it differently. It's like literally I did a do so I D D O N O double T think T H I N K K I W I L L L materialize now this is a fun one M A double T E double R I A L I Z E Just everything's elongated. Almost like yeah. she's speaking through a tunnel. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's like stretched out. Hence the all right girls like this mm. is no time for bickering so yeah she's going to be interesting yeah yes 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 and i apologize for randomly mispronouncing words that are in a different language because there's going to be a lot of those yeah we can only do what we can do you you know more languages than i do <laughs> not as many as i could but yeah so you've got mrs what's it who sarcasm wraps in bundles of things Mrs. Who, who wears glasses and speaks in quotes, uses quotes. And then you've got Mrs. Witch, who just couldn't be bothered to materialize and is sounding very growly and stretched out words. Well, maybe she's keeping the way open that they have to travel in. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing. So we have the title of chapter four is The Black Thing. Hmm. Mysterious. Yes. Mysterious. And it, it, I, it, it's, uh, we will be, you'll be hearing, I mean, you're going to be hearing this episode next year. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, end we're, of we're playing with New time ourselves. Yeah, the, uh, the Gregorian New Year's jokes just never go old for me. Well, they do. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. They see, age. see, I'm, I'm annoyed because I know it's going to take me maybe three months to get used to writing 2022 on date forms yeah it, it does take time it does take time uh always for the next few months at least 
Um, and so, yes, it's uh, this, this episode you will hear next year. And then we'll continue with Chapter 4, The Black Thing, the following week. But in the meantime, um, we hope you have a safe New Year's. And we're going to now wrap things up. Yes. The music at the head of the podcast is a score composed by Jeff Dana for 2003 teleplay adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time. And the music at the end of the podcast is, as always, I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can catch me on Twitter at Rue McMoo. And I am on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at SMBSLT Podcast. And if you move that at to the end for an email address, we're at smbsltpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback as always, what you think of the episode, what you think of the book. If you have suggestions about future books you would like us to read, we will take them under advisement. But, you know, until next episode, we hope you're enjoying your reading. We hope you're staying safe. Um, thank you for listening as I went through a little bit of therapy talking about all my failed education. <laughs> it's not failed. You, we, we discussed our, the challenges to educational models that personally affected us. See? 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 But it was therapeutic. I will say that. There is that. Even That's if it's it. in a public forum. Maybe uh, because it's in a public forum. But, you I know. Think, I think everyone relates to different aspects of this whether it's when they're a child or whether they're when they're an adult or generally when they're meeting something that they struggle with we all have challenges in our lives and sometimes through others or because of others and sometimes because of just the way our mind works that we have to figure it out and figure out how it works best for us so yes lots of things and, that's, but, and because everyone's going through this journey at a different pace you got to be kind well got to be kind and not and also don't compare. We've, we've had this discussion. There's no need to compare. But yes. So, only compare against your own self. No one else. And on that note, uh, we hope you had a good New Year's transition and will remember to write 2022 um, if that is the date that applies to you. So. Bye. Bye.